This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. Sour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And the goal that we have is to provide the real facts and the real stats about our local market. And right now, you know, we're hearing all kinds of crazy things on the internet, social media, and it's good to get the news right from the source, the ones, the people that work with the people who are buying, selling, and keeping real estate. And to help me out with that today, we have Mr. Ron Stumpf of Stumpf & Company Real Estate. Good morning. Good morning, Don. All right. Not your first time here? <coughs> no, it's probably about my uh, fifth or sixth time through the years. Mm-hmm. And um, we're about to start our 15th year. So that means you've been around once or twice. Yes. Um, it was after the dinosaurs roamed the earth, though, when I was born, but close to it. All right. So um, I heard you sold Moses a home. <laughs> That's great. Now He, he Ron... was a flipper, by the way, just to let you know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on with real estate investments? Well, okay. In, in my case, I typically... Uh, work with investors, okay? Um, commercial, industrial, apartments, um, and also businesses too, for that matter. And, um, you know, things have happened through the years. I've, I've only uh, been a broker for 45 years, and uh, it was, it's been interesting. I've gone through five recessions in my time, and uh, people are talking about six now. But I will tell you, I've known of people that have done better in recessions than they have when it was at the peak of the market. How did they do that? Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting. I've had, I remember one time years and years ago when I first started, I met this one gentleman and he ended up buying property when nobody else would buy it. So he got it at a great price. Interesting concept. And then when he wanted to, uh, when thing, everybody wanted that property, such as he would buy, buy land when nobody would buy land. And of course, when everybody wanted land, guess what he'd do? He'd sell it and buy something else that nobody wanted. And so that's one way of doing it. Uh, naturally, you're always able to make money in real estate, okay? I know people are talking about recessions possibly coming up. And in turn, I must admit, what happens is, is that uh, you, people make money during the recession, okay? And it just depends on uh, what you want to do and how you do it and that type of thing. Well, I remember I bought one in 2008, and not that was in uh, the middle of a recession. And uh, it's doubled in value now, but more importantly... My loan balance uh, is cut in not by a fourth. It went from uh, two hundred thousand to fifty thousand. So I, I've got lots of equity now um, because of time. Time seemed to heal everything. Well, how I got interested in real estate was when I was in college at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, going to school in architecture and also engineering. I th got those two degrees from there. 
what happened was after the first year, I couldn't stand being in the dorms. So I ended up buying a house, okay, at uh, 20 years old. And lo and behold, I paid 9500 bucks for the house in San Luis Obispo, California, okay? And lo and behold, when I graduated, mind you, after, when I graduated from college, both my parents had passed away. So I was a starving student. So I graduated, and I didn't have a penny to my name, so I sold my house in San Luis Obispo for 25000 I said, wow. Wait, wait I, you bought it for 9500 9500 put about 2000 into it because it was a, it was a motivated uh, seller. What happened was is he never put any dime back into it. And, of course, through the years as he rented it out to, to people, the quality went downhill on the property. And the quality of tenants did too. So one night what happened was he decided the next day to sell it because his tenants were going out the back door or out the windows as the police were breaking down the front door, uh, the narcotics division, by the way. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, he decided to sell it, and I bought it and fixed it up. It cost me about $2,000 to fix it up, to what, cosmetic, paint, mm -hmm. carpeting, that type of thing in those days. Sold it for twenty-five. Now, Don, this is the interesting thing about it. Four years ago, I found out that place sold again, okay? Now, it had been added on and remodeled since, for a million four hundred thousand. One point four million. Yes. Wow. I wished I would have kept it, but financially I couldn't at the time. Mm-hmm. That's a good story. I mean yeah. that that's first of all, buying something over by the coast for ninety five hundred dollars. And uh, you might say, Yeah, but that was back in the olden days. Hey, we're all still alive though. It's really you know, I could see uh, when they bought Manhattan for twenty four hundred $24. Right. Yeah. That was a long time ago, but uh, we're still in our own lifetimes. And not just that, but people talk about interest rates, okay? How they're going up. Oh, good okay. Question. Yeah. Now, when I sold that house, and that was in 1975, the average interest rate at that time for a home was 9.5% interest. Okay. That should have scared you away, right? Uh, I'm saying that in jest. I know way. you are. I know you are. And then, of course, it went up, especially in, um, say, around, let's see, that would have been uh, 1980, shall we say, something like that. It went up to about 12%. And then, as you well know, it even went up higher than that through uh, over the next couple of years. So, I used to teach these classes at Cloves Adult School for 39 years called Making Money in Real Estate. And I'd always ask the students the first night, and these are adults who want to learn more about investing in real estate. I would say to them, I say, okay, name one thing you can buy today than what you, and that, so of course, a couple of years ago when interest rates were about 3%, maybe a little less than 3% even at times. Uh, what, name one thing that you can buy today that, is cheaper than what you could back when I was born in 1951. And they name all sorts of things. And I say, you know what? The only thing that there is, interest rates are cheaper now than they were back then. Now, of course, they've gone up since then. But still, 
you know, saying 7%, whatever it is right now for a home, still cheap money. Mm -hmm. Very cheap money. You've just been spoiled at 3%. Spoiled is a key word. Um, we, we all, is, uh, when it comes to listing a home, you know, we got spoiled the last two years. Realtors were able to get a home sold in less than 10 days. And now that it's taking 20 or 30 days, I feel like I was spoiled. And, um, but, but keep in mind, if it's taking 20 to 30 days right now, going back to, let's go to the eighties and nineties when it, it took three to four months to sell, to get one offer on yes, a house. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But also, of course, what I do is mostly commercial, industrial apartments and businesses, as I said. And so because of that, we're talking about investors today, I guess, to some extent. And, and what it is in investments is a lot of times I deal with people compared to people who are buying a home to live in, and that's an emotional buy. Mm -hmm. I deal with investors whose I have to prove to them, what's my return on my investment? All they care about is how much money am I going to make? Mm -hmm. And that's something we're going to get into in this show is the different types of real estate, not just residential, which we focus on most of the time on this show. But let's talk commercial, retail, office space, um, selling businesses. Uh, so there's real estate has quite, quite a few facets to it. And uh, you're the right guy to, to do that. Plus, I'm going to ask you questions about the school. Uh, th you said 39 years you taught school at uh, Clovis, Clovis Adult, Adult School. School. It was for adults who wanted to make money in real estate, basically. What was the name of the class? Making Money in Real Estate. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. You got right to it then. Yes, exactly. All right. With that, we are ready for our first commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Frosty the snowman was a jolly happy soul With a corncob pipe and a button nose And two eyes made out of coal Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And today we have Mr. Ron Stumpf here in the office or the studio with us. And we're going to be, we are talking real estate investments, uh, which is something you've specialized in, including He's taught a class for 39 years at Clovis Adult School, and the class name is Making Money in Real Estate. So how do you make money in real estate? Well, basically what happens is, is uh, one thing happens. We always seem to have inflation, and when inflation happens, of course, values go up, usually. That's one reason. Uh, it's a tangible asset. It's not like maybe the stock market that's uh, somewhat intangible, shall we say. And so because of it, you can feel it, you can touch it, you can grow crops on it, whatever, that type of thing, um, as opposed to some other types of investments that are not that way. So basically, it's always a good hedge against inflation owning real estate. Yeah, I like the fact you can drive by it, see it, um, go into it and evaluate it. It's, like you said uh, in the first segment about the first home you bought, how you went and put a lot of, you put $2,000 worth of um, fix up into it. 
Um, well, you can do that with real estate. You can use sweat equity to bring up the value. Exactly, yes. It, in fact, I, I remember um, a long time ago, a college professor I had said there's four factors to uh, home equity growth, or equi not home equity, just real estate equity growth. Inflation, uh, one thing, you can't do anything about inflation. It's global except own part of the world, and then you'll benefit from inflation. Number two is appreciation. Buy something that people will appreciate later. Number three was sweat equity. And that's something where you can take the worst home on the block and make it into the best home on the block. And then number four was principal reduction. And uh, that's where you, you just get the loan paid off as fast as you can. Another thing is, too, is like, for instance, as the humorist Will Rogers once said, Okay, land, they ain't making any more of this stuff. Yeah. And it's true. As the population grows, the need for land gets more expensive. Mm hmm. Yeah. And the wise utilization of that. So that's where investment comes in, too, to wisely utilize it. You know, that's how I got interested in real estate when I was uh, sold my house in San Luis Obispo. I said, whoa. I made enough off this house to pay for my college education. And I thought, wow, I got to learn more about this real estate. So I decided to go back to city college and I started taking classes in real estate as I was working during the daytime, mostly in construction, building banks at the time when everybody had to have banks on every corner. Anyway, so what happened was is all of a sudden I got through these classes and somebody told me, I said, oh, I'm going to take my broker's license. I said, what does it take to get your broker's license? I said, this, this, and this. I said, I think I qualify for that. So I check, I sent in my money and sent in the application, and sure enough, about, about a week and a half later, I got this in mail stating, your test date is such and such. I said, oh, i got to learn how to take this test. So back then, you'd go to Anthony Schools. Everybody did, and, and they'd teach you how to take the test and learn it and that type of thing. And so I took the test the first time. I said, oh, God, I must have done terrible. I probably should start studying again, even though I didn't know that, you know, way back when, when you got everything in the mail, uh, U.S. mail. And so what happened was I waited, and all of a sudden it came, and it said, you passed. I said, wow, I'm glad I didn't have to study again. So that's how I became a broker. Never got a sales license. In those days, you could even get a broker's license just because you had at least a four-year college degree in any major. You can't do that anymore. You have to work two years in, with a real estate broker to be able to do that. Back then, Anthony Schools was the big real estate school. And do you remember that instructor's name? Bert he, Graham. Bert Graham, that's it. Yeah. That guy was a character. Yes. I mean... To this day, I can still visualize what uh, boot means in real estate oh. <laughs> <laughs> because of the way he described it and kicking something, you know, giving it the boot. And he says what you do, as soon as you get your license, you get a new briefcase. And what you do is you take a knife and you slit it just a little bit on the one side. That way you say it's been used and so I can bang it up however I want to now. 
yeah, I tell you, he was a character. Yes. But he was a great teacher. Yes. Um, all right. So let's talk about multifamily residential, which is apartments. Right. Uh, or fourplexes and, and such. How is the market for that right now? Well, it's still very good. I'll tell you why, which is interesting. People complain about investors originally were going to complain about in the state of California as of a few years ago, we have rent control now for anything from duplexes on up <clears throat> to larger units. Well, it's based on inflation, this rent control. So like last year, you could raise your rents as much as 8% from the previous year in the Fresno area. Other areas might have been higher. Other areas might be lower. Okay. This year it's 9%. Now before rent control, typically people would be feel a little sorry for their tenants and they would end up eh, maybe raising 2% or 3%, something like that. Now with rent control, everyone wants to raise up 8% or 9% now. Yeah. So yeah. that's all of a sudden that's an incentive now. And if you don't do that, then the next year, you can only go eight or nine percent from the previous year. Now, maybe this next year, who knows? It might be ten or eleven percent since inflation's gone up so much more. I don't know yet. It hasn't come out. And, and the thing that I'm sure the legislators didn't think about is they brought the calendar into the equation. So now you can only do it once a year. Correct. So I think everybody knows now. Every uh, property manager, landowner knows that. Okay. Uh, next October is my anniversary date, so that's when I make the decision. Whereas before, um, there was no calendar in the equation, and all of a sudden you might say, wow, I haven't raised their rent in seven years. Correct, yes. Yeah. And I heard an adage that really makes a lot of sense, and that is if, <coughs> excuse me, if a landlord doesn't take the rent increase, they lose it. So, well, you know, you almost have to. Correct. Yes. So you're beating inflation that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then of course there's a lot of regulatory costs involved too. I just had to write several large checks for, um, to the government for some new regulations, mandatory inspections. Um, that was a hundred dollars per unit. Well, and I think people see that rent increases, they think of maybe a picture of the uh, landlord going to the bank with more money. Heck no. Some of it is you're writing checks to the government agencies for inspections that weren't really productive or, or, or necessary. And I know in some cases <coughs> that could be argued that, yeah, it is necessary, but have you had to deal with those inspections? Well, um, even though I sell a lot of apartments and everything like that, uh, I only have one residential rental, and that's actually a weekend place in Pismo Beach. Uh, so from that standpoint, uh, so I haven't run into that, that much. In that case, I do have a property manager that does that. Uh, and But I will tell you this is that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – you do have more regulations nowadays. I just, I own, well, I have about 20 uh, commercial tenants. 
And so, yes, we still have inspections with fire departments, things like that, um, that they charge, uh, things like that that don't happen, yes. Tell us about those commercial investments. What what type? And Well, I mostly have, I have an office building with tenants, and then I also have a couple of uh, multi-tenant uh, office warehouse complexes. And those all have been, I've designed and built so sweat equity went into those two uh, through the years. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, is is that commercial market? Let's say the office space. Mm-hmm. Is that has that gone down? Well, of course, uh, during COVID, of course, what happened in many places, especially in San Francisco, as an example, what I've read, uh, vacancy factor has gone up drastically uh, because a lot of people are working at home now. And so um, a lot of normal large office spaces have been now vacant or uh, minimal type of people working there. And so that's really hurt San Francisco. Fresno, of course, uh, we've had some more vacancy, but not to any major extent, shall we say. So when the stay-at-home, work-from-home mandate came out, and people adapted to it and went on Zoom calls. I thought, uh-oh, um, office office space is really going to go, that market's going to really go down. But I haven't seen that. Not in Fresno so much. Now, like I said, up in the Bay Area or other places, yes. Uh, but I will tell you this is that uh, sometimes people, as an example, when I call up various uh, governmental agencies that might have that situation and you're talking to them and all of a sudden you hear screaming kids in the background you know that they're working at home and they may not be working quite as hard as they would otherwise if they were in an office because they're taking care of their kids at the same time yeah yeah so um yeah efficiency might go down a little bit yes so i still think there's going to be a strong market for um the brick-and-mortar office places. Right, and also uh, another one that got hit pretty hard was uh, retail uh, because of, of COVID, although now that's coming back too. You see less vacancy now than what you did in shopping centers than what you had before during COVID. So there's more online shopping now, so why would retail be coming back? Well, I know personally, when I'm trying on clothes, I'd rather try them on than order them and find out I have to send them back because they're not quite the right size. Yeah. All right. Or there's other things I'd rather, as an example, I remember I bought uh, some furniture uh, and basically it was for a dining set. And it looked great in the picture, but when I got it, it wasn't like it like you'd think. The photograph looked very good, though. Uh, my here's a good story. When COVID first started, I finally broke down and got out of my buy local, buy in person um, desire, and, and I actually ordered some shoes online. And man, they were good looking shoes online. I couldn't wait for them to arrive. When they did, they didn't fit right, even though it was the right size. It was just a bad cut. Uh, the th- Man, I don't know what they process those shoes through, but it had a strong odor 
a sharp odor and it's like okay i i couldn't wear them i i basically lost the money now i will tell you with warehouse space it's caused it just to be the opposite uh, warehouses uh, right now in fresno we got about a one to two percent vacancy factor there which is normally wouldn't be the case what what's so, normal probably about four to five mm-hmm. percent yeah and, and what's causing that uh basically i would say uh, a lot of it has to do with just uh, having to store stuff uh and email it out i mean not email it out but rather uh, mail it out that way mm-hmm. through ups or whatever else right All right, with that thought, we are going to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, with Ron Stumpf of Stumpf & Company Real Estate, and they specialize in real estate investments. So... Right off the bat, Ron, give us several tips on investing. Well, there's different types of investments out there, and you have to look at it that way. The positive about like apartments are is that everybody has to live someplace, okay? At the same time, as far as, um, say, a shopping center, not everybody has to have a business someplace. Not everybody has to have an industrial building someplace. Not everybody has to have an office someplace. So that's why you'll probably see normally more vacancy factors on commercial properties. The positive is, is that with commercial properties, there's less management involved typically, okay? In other words, what happens is, is you've got different types of leases out there. Say for instance, Uh, If it's an office building and maybe they have one electrical meter, then you may have what's called a full service lease. And a full service lease means when you pay the rent every month, that includes utilities, that includes janitorial, that includes everything, as like an office building would be, some of them. Then you have what's called a gross lease. And a gross lease is where basically... Yes, taxes, insurance, that type of thing is all paid by the landlord. But the gross lease, especially a modified gross lease, would be where you still have to pay for the water, garbage, sewer, uh, PG&E, that type of thing. Then you've also got what most shopping centers have or a lot of industrial buildings have is a triple net lease. And that means that landlord, when you pay him X amount of dollars per month, he has no expenses. You're still paying the taxes. You're still paying the insurance. The landlord and the tenant is, and the tenant is paying the water, garbage, sewer, insurance, everything. So, a lot of people like that triple net lease, and you're going to find that a lot of times on single tenant buildings. Uh, you might see it like on a Jack in the Box. You might see it on a Starbucks. Uh, you might see it on industrial buildings. Uh, all sorts of things that you might have. So the landlord, he can go off to Europe for a year. The check comes in or just deposited in the bank for his account. And that's how it's happening. 
and he never has to think about it, never have to do anything. If the parking lot has to be resealed, the tenant does it. If a roof leaks, it's the tenant's responsibility. Everything is the tenant's responsibility on a triple net lease. Well, let's go to taxes and insurance. Interesting that the tenant would pay those. Um, who came up with that idea? I like it. Well, that's why a lot of people like to have that type of situation. I will tell you that, though, usually, usually on these triple net leases, people, the buyers, just pay cash. No financing, no nothing. No banks involved, no nothing. As an example, over the past, say, year and a half, I think in my office we've only had maybe a couple of bank loans on purchases. All the rest have been either cash or seller carryback financing. Hmm. Where the seller, the seller ends up, um, ends up uh, saying, well, geez, originally a lot of times they'll tell me, well, you know, I've had this building so long, I'd rather just sell it, get my money, and, and go off. And I tell them, you know, you really need to talk to your accountant first. Because what happens quite often, you don't realize how much you got to pay in state and federal income tax. And you can defer your gain by getting it on a monthly basis, some of that gain that way back, and at much lower rates. And so what happens is all of a sudden they go to their accountant and say, yeah, I guess I should take that that way. Or you might want to do an exchange, take the money and go into something else, another investment of equal or value higher equal value or higher and in turn what happens in that case uh, you defer your gain entirely so that's the old-fashioned owner carry and yes. you just told us the benefits to the seller how about benefits to the buyer with an owner carry well for one thing a lot of less expenses involved uh, if you went uh, to a, a bank a special on a commercial building you got an appraisal well, the appraiser is going to cost between $3,500 and $5,000 just for that. Then you have points. In other words, additional fees, okay? And, of course, you also have also a, um, a, a lender's uh, loan fee, too. So there's all sorts of things involved here that ha can happen uh, where you don't have otherwise. And the uh, credit check. And also credit check, sure, that type of thing. And maybe the bank will say all of a sudden, well, we thought we could do it for 25% down. Well, after looking at all the financials and everything, we need more like 35% or 40% down. And now an owner might like that, to have that 35% down up front right. uh, because their risk is greatly reduced. Oh, yes. In fact, I've never had a client ever that at least got 20% down that ever got the property back. Yeah, that's the old term of uh, the buyer had skin in the game. Yes. All right. Um, going back to the leases, do you, in commercial, what what's a typical term? In residential, you see month to month, you see one year lease. What's typical in commercial? Typical uh, five to 10 years. All right, and it makes sense because a business wants to establish goodwill in the neighborhood. So by being there for a long time, 
that benefits the business too. Yes. But again, then you've got a stable tenant too, especially as an example, uh, you know, sometimes tenants, will, as an example, one international company I have as a tenant has been with me since 1996. Wow. So they don't leave so easily. Uh, that's the good thing about commercial is usually longer leases, longer terms, that type of thing. But I will tell you this. The negative is when you got a vacancy, you got a vacancy. Okay. Because, you know, sometimes you've seen buildings vacant for two years or three years. I just thought that as I was driving along East Shaw over towards Cedar, where the Black Angus used to be. Yes. That's been empty a long time. And then the other building that used to be Willikers, uh, it's empty. And, boy, I'd hate to own that being being it's empty. Well, it's a single-tenant building. When you got a single-tenant and they stay, it's great. Mm -hmm. You can go away forever if you want. But when they became vacant, then there's a vacancy. All right. You just, everybody, like I say, everybody has to live someplace. Not everybody has to have a business someplace. So for a building like that, what does an owner do to make it happen to get a tenant? Well, a lot of times he may have to do some additional changes. Um, he may end up even like, uh, I, re- I remember uh, some of the other ones uh, that have been torn down already at River Park over the last few years where they've only were 20 years old or less and then they tore them down and uh, put a chicken place there as one corner they did. So, uh, you know, it just depends. The problem is, is you get a higher return on commercial. That's the positive. The negative is, you know, it's a higher risk. It's always yeah. the higher the return, the higher the risk. And I remember that from real estate school, Burt Graham taught us the higher the risk, the higher the reward, but also the other way around. Yes. All right. With that, we are going to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle bells. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, along with Ron Stump, and we are talking real estate investments. And in the last segment, we jumped into risk versus reward, which is what real estate investment is. And uh, the, the amount of reward that you can anticipate getting has a direct uh, correlation to the amount of risk you took. So, Ron, tell us, how do we, how does someone go about figuring out their so-called ROI, that return on the investment? Well, an easy way of saying it is what most people ask for, what's the cap, cap rate? And what the cap rate stands is, as example, whatever you paid for that property, as if it was a cash sale. It may not be, but you still work at it, look at it that way, as a cash sale. And you look at the, the income per year. And you look at it and say, okay, what's my return on my investment? A percentage. And that's really the cap rate. In other words, it's like, in other words, you're looking at total net income that you get after all expenses. 
and in relationship to the price on the property, what you paid. And maybe the average right now is probably about a 5% cap. In other words, it's five cap, they call it. And that's what they go by. And, okay, so a five cap. Um, so is a 10 cap means it's more Far profitable. superior. Far superior. Far superior, yeah. That's another 10% return. What determines it, too, is how secure the investment is. Okay? As an example, up until recently, I would say, geez, like a bank. If you owned a bank building, that would be very secure. Okay? But now, what's happening through bank buildings? Things change through the years. People do more things online now. So you don't have banks. I mean, when I was back in the 70s, when I was building banks, they were on every corner almost. Now they've become restaurants or torn down or whatever else so many of them have been. And so that's the difference. It goes through cycles. Everything goes through cycles. Or as an example, a good example would be about 1970. Over in Butler Avenue, they built this gigantic building for the IRS. Okay? And it was investors that owned it. Okay? And, and developers. Now it's been closed for a couple of years because IRS is not working there anymore. Their lease has expired. And in turn, it's been sitting there still wanting to get leased. A gigantic building over on Butler Avenue. So it was great for so many years. Or another one that was great for return was always uh, buy a postal building. The post office doesn't own very many of their buildings. It's all owned by investors. And in turn, you know, great. I mean, you know, they'll go on forever. Well, now all of a sudden, emails and, and that type of thing and everything else that you do now, uh, they've closed up a number of post office locations. They don't need as many. So you have to go and, and keep on thinking about the future, not the past. Yeah. And, and for example, that IRS building, how many other typical, how many other users are like that that could, that would need that many square feet. That's the problem. Yes. Yeah. But it was great for, what, probably 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great in return. But you also know, at the same time, what I'm going to say is, the as an example, the cap rate on maybe a building that you had, where it's like Ellen Joe's auto body is a tenant, well, naturally, you want a higher percent because it's a higher risk. Ellen Joe could go out of business. But if you had something like a, an international company or a national company, you know, that's a lower risk that's on the New York, New York Stock Exchange or whatever. And so you can take a lower cap rate because it's more secure. So I've heard the term anchor tenant. Tell us what that is. Anchor tenant is that brings other things in, other people in other businesses coming in. Uh, maybe they advertise all the time, like a Macy's or, or, you know, some of the other ones, big ones that are all over the United States or even internationally. And of course they advertise. So it brings the customer in. And then those people that are smaller tenants in there, they're kind of sifting off of that because that's the draw. If you don't have a good anchor tenant, then chances are your shopping center is not going to be that great. Okay, I got you. So the Macy's brings the people in, 
gives stability to the, the whole shopping center. And then the, maybe the little mom and pop boutique shop could be next door. Uh, but they're, they're anchored by the big uh, Macy's. And not just that, but on top of it all, of course, everything's, everything in commercial is price per square foot. That's how you figure it, okay? Price per square foot of the building. What will you pay for the building? Price per square foot. What will you pay for the land? Price per square foot. Uh, everything is considered price per square foot in commercial real estate. How much will it cost to, to lease this building? Price per square foot. Everything's price per square foot. Why is that? Because in residential, price per square foot is maybe the fifth or sixth rule of thumb to use. It's not as important. Well, it's just always been that way. <laughs> I guess okay. you'd say more than anything else. And and again, it's 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 basically a commercial use. And so you look at it from a commercial standpoint as opposed to you're not doing emotions. You're still going back to dollars and cents. Mm-hmm. And with residential, you obviously have more emotion. Yes. Yeah. It's like I and love that, that kitchen. And that's why I don't normally sell homes very often is because I hate emotions. <laughs> I like how the person's thinking because I'm thinking the same way they're thinking. Now, me being Italian, I'm used to emotions. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it comes natural to me. <laughs> All right. So uh, looking to the future, Ron, the, here we are about to enter 2023. Where where should somebody that wants to invest in real estate? What what's your advice? What what area should they look to? Well, it just depends what you're comfortable with. Ooh, I like that. I answer. mean, can can you take the risk of a commercial property that may be vacant for a few years and still feed it? I know? love that answer. Okay. Or as opposed to a residence or residential type of usage where you end up, you can find a tenant much easier. At the same time, yes, you may have more, it may be more intensive on management. You know, on a commercial building, if you're just a single tenant, there's nothing you have to do a lot of times because if you've got a triple net lease and that type of thing, it's like, eh, comes in every month, eh, what the heck, you know. Don't have to do a doggone thing. Where on apartment, naturally, you know, things happen on apartments. You know, uh, there's upkeep uh, that you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. You know, I get one, if my tenant calls me up and tells me on my industrial buildings, oh, my, my toilet is clogged up, I say, well, here's a, a good plumber, but it's your cost. <laughs> I could recommend somebody to you. Yeah. You know, that type of thing. Where on an apartment, of course, what happens? You have to pay for the plumber. You have to do this. And the problem with an apartment is you have a plumbing leak upstairs, it's going to end up downstairs too. That's true too, yes. Yeah, so it affects the neighbors. Yes. So maintenance is is much more important. But that is a big thing that you brought up um, in real estate invest investing. It's what you are comfortable with. And your treasure might be another person's poison and vice versa. Also in financing, uh Apartments are much more easier to finance than commercial buildings because they're concerned. They're looking at how long the lease is. They're concerning probably more down payment, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. 
And once again, I, I would think the banks are looking at it long term. They know that people need a place to live. So uh, those apartments are going to be ne a necessary thing in, in the future. Whereas you don't know that with a, a restaurant building or a bank building. That's correct. All right. So uh, in your business, you're you're used to dealing with different types of personalities that um, uh, what, what is your favorite part of real estate? Is it office, retail, commercial? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Everything. I can tell you one thing why I like about it is I love to negotiate. I love to put two people on common terms and ground. Mm -hmm. And if one person feels like they're getting, um, uh, the, the raw deal of the deal, it won't come through, okay? And so you have to put people on common terms and ground. You have to show the buyer why he needs this property. And at the same time, you have to tell the seller, hey, maybe it's worth less than what you think. Because a lot of, you know, as anything, I've never known of a buyer who thought he uh, paid too little, and I've never known of a seller who thought he got too much. Yeah. And it's emotion. That's the emotion part of it. I got you. All right. Well, Ron, I want to thank you for coming in today and helping us out with this, um, these topics. And I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in. And I hope everybody has a great Christmas season. Uh, we'll be back again next week. We have a special show. We're going to uh, go over the Homewards Essay Contest. Kids are telling us what homes are really all about. So thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back next week.